Hi, I'm Len Epp from LeanPub, and in this LeanPub podcast, I'll be interviewing Iris Clausen. Iris is a software developer, author, trainer, and speaker, as well as Microsoft MVP and creator of Pluralsight courses, amongst the many other things that she does. Iris is the author of the LeanPub book, Loose Candy, Pick and Mix Power Tips for .NET Developers and IT Professionals. Her book offers a number of really helpful tips and tricks in bite-sized portions um, for anybody who really works in the IT field. Um, in this interview, we're going to talk about um, Iris's interesting career path, her professional interests, her book, and at the end, we'll talk a little bit about her experience self-publishing with LeanPub. So thank you, Iris, for being on the LeanPub podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I always like to start these interviews by asking people for their origin story. Um, I know yours is particularly interesting. You've had a, um, a unique career path, and you actually moved around quite a bit as a kid, I think. I, I saw in an interview you did on YouTube. Yeah, that's correct. I've been moving, <laughs> I've been moving around a lot, but I think I'm staying put in Gothenburg for a little while. So I'm not sure which which one of the stories do you want, the moving around one or the yeah. If you could I start guess, with that, uh, I think I actually I find that I've moved around a little bit myself, and I find that an interesting interesting thing to learn about someone. I've I've learned to do this uh, story a bit uh, a bit more dense down now because I get the question a lot. Where are you from? It's really hard to uh, reply to that question because do you tell them what's on your passport or do you tell them where you are born or where you're living or I don't know how you feel like? Well, I was born in Romania and then when I was five we moved to Norway. My family, my mom, dad, me, and my older sister. Then when I was 16, I went to France. I moved there. I was going to be there for a year, but I was I was way too immature to be traveling on my own. So I came back with the tail between my legs. And when I was 18 and uh, felt more grown up, uh, I moved to Denmark. I was there for a year, year and a half, and then moved back home for half a year. And, and then afterwards, uh, set my eyes on Australia. And I was in Australia for four or five years or something. Um, met a Swedish guy and uh, he was moving back to Sweden because it was too expensive to study in Australia. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll tag along. So I tagged along. Uh, we broke up, but I stayed in Sweden for a few years before I um, was going to move to the US, couldn't get a visa. And I was going to move to China. They realized I didn't want to do that. <laughs> and then randomly ended up in UK for one year before I just realized that Gothenburg is the best place I've ever lived and I just want to go home. So that's where I am now. And um, actually, I've, I've, I lived in the UK for nine years myself. Um, where were you when you were there? <laughs> okay, so uh, I was in this little place. People seem to even know where this is and it fascinates me because it's tiny. It's called Peterborough. It's about one hour with the train outside of London. Um, it's, uh, I think it's one of the roughest uh, cities or towns you can live in. Uh, I think uh, criminality is the highest uh, in all of the UK. I mean, e even compared to Manchester, that's wow, that's well done. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, it was a rough place to, to live. I should have looked up where I was going to end up. But I, I picked UK based on the job, which was compared to market. Yeah, that's um, that's actually funny. Um, my brother, I know where Peterborough is because my brother lives in a <laughs> Canadian town named Peterborough. Um, uh, and um, actually, it's funny you say that about roughness as well. Um, a friend of mine uh, who's a brain surgeon chose to live in Newcastle for some time because of all of the uh, head injuries uh, that happen around there because it's also a rough, a rough British town. 
Um, so that's just a curious um, coincidence. Um, oh, I guess that, that's a good way to find. Yeah, it was, it was a career choice, right? Um, uh, yeah. And, um, uh, you know, you go where the action is, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, so that's really interesting. And you and you're so you're you're now currently um, uh, you're obviously a programmer and speaker, um, but you uh, began your uh, career as a dietitian studying nutrition science, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, first of all, I don't know, I, I, can you, not to offend anybody here, but can I call personal training a job? Certainly. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, I, I just didn't make much money off it. But I, was, uh, I used to be a personal trainer and a fitness model, and then uh, I didn't want to leave Australia, and my working visa was running out, so... Uh, Instead of picking fruit for three months to extend my visa for a year, I started studying nutrition, which uh, I later changed to clinical nutrition and became a dietitian instead. So it, it wasn't really well planned. Uh, I hate to say that, but I, I just kind of went with the flow. And why did you find yourself drawn to, I mean, what, I mean, even if it was a little bit random, what, what drew you into that, that world? Um, I was I was quite uh, obsessed with uh, fitness and working out. Um, it was just uh, one of those places, the gym or whenever I did sports, that I always felt strong. So even if I had a really shitty day, I could go to the gym, I could bench, and I would feel awesome. And it's just something that became my escapism. So for me, it was natural to be in that that world. So when I was considering ways of staying in Australia and not. Not include. I didn't want to get married. Uh, don't mind the Aussie guys, but <laughs> I was a bit young. So nutrition just seemed like a natural thing to do. And to be honest, I sort of thought I already knew all of it, and it was just for the paper. So school was going to be so easy. Yeah, and I think you you said in an interview um, uh, online that um, you found the way you were instructed to be not really keeping up with changes in the discipline? Uh, can you rephrase that? I'm not sure I understand um, what you mean. Uh, that um, uh, you were kind of, the, the course you took um, was being taught uh, kind of by rote and not really keeping up with the latest science. I said that? Yeah, oh. I, saw that on an, <laughs> I saw that on an interview. Damn it, I should really double check my stories. Uh, well, that is in part true. Um, uh, when it comes to clinical nutrition, it does lag behind science a little bit because you, you have to, uh, you have to um, create so the new, oh, I don't know how to even put this in words, but yes, uh, clinical nutrition will always lag a little bit behind uh, the science because it has to be well tested and then they have to create all the rules and then they have to implement it and so on. And uh, when it comes to nutritional recommendations, uh, be that clinical or just for the everyday person, it's still it goes in sort of iterations. So every few years they will be updated. So it's not like you're going to update it because something new came up. Uh, unless it's something very, very, very important. So it, it does lag. And another part of it, which is frustrating, when you work as a dietitian, you might have all the knowledge in your head, but uh, every person you meet is going to think that they know your job better than you. So you'll also have to fight there and 
people generally lag behind science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. I imagine that it's it's interesting that you say that people think they know your job better than you, and and yet they're going to you for consultation in the first place. I mean, are they looking for confirmation of what they already believe? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and for some of them, it's not when you work as a dietitian, you work at the hospital or um, yeah, you work with sick people. And a lot of the times so you're, you're sending, you're part of a team, you've got doctors, surgeons and nurses and and everybody takes a turn talking to the patient. So maybe the patient didn't even want to talk to you and you just come in there. And most people don't know what the dietitian does. So they just assume, oh, she's going to tell me or he's going to tell me how to be healthy. It has nothing to do with that, really. It's just uh, adjusting the diet for your particular situation and, you know, the nearest future. <laughs> and it's not so much about uh, necessarily losing weight for uh, aesthetic reasons or, yeah, just health. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's got to be difficult to um, change the way you live. Um, in order to be healthier. And I imagine that's a big part of the job too, is finding a way to motivate people. Yeah, uh, a lot of the times, uh, some diets which actually help, um, for example, somebody who has a kidney failure, uh, there is an option. For, and this is not a recommendation, by the way, but you should discuss it with a dietitian if you're interested and a doctor. But some people uh, want to delay uh, doing dialysis I think it's called in English, and therefore they will go on a low-protein diet. But it's very, very tough to go on a low-protein diet. So that's why the dietitian, together with the rest of the team, will sort of evaluate how your situation is and based on that make recommendations. The option will be presented if it's you know, a possibility for you, but it might be that it's just not going to be worth the trouble. And um, you um, eventually made the a big change um, to programming and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, why you decided to make that change well I was sort of bored to death uh, working as a dietitian um, I just hadn't thought it out completely working in public health care uh, doesn't really align well with my personality. I'm a social introvert, which means I like to socialize and talk to people, but then I'm going to need extended periods of time where nobody can talk to me and I need to be alone. But having a job where you constantly have to be talking and caring about people uh, was just very mentally exhausting for me. And, uh, and I didn't find it uh, so very challenging intellectually as well. Um, I wanted to have a job where I constantly have to learn with very a lot of pressure to learn, learn, learn. And you can certainly do that uh, in the world of clinical nutrition, but you're still going to have the same patients. Uh, you know, you're still going to talk with people that are at a very basic level, very basic understanding of what the, their needs are. So you might have all the information in your head, but you're just not going to get much use of it unless you're doing research or uh, having a very different type of job. So I was, yeah, I was bored in several ways and sort of yeah, hitting the wall. And uh, I made a long list of possible jobs I could I could do if I was going to change my career. And my at the time um, husband, uh, he, he wrote down all the IT jobs and uh, we started crossing things off the list because I tried to match them as well as I could with the things I wanted to do in life and what I was really good at based on what my friends said. And at the end, uh, it was programmer that was left on the list. 
And you um, started out uh, running, um, from what I gather. Um, you um, got quite a few accomplishments uh, in within a, a year of beginning, and you were self-taught as well. Yeah, it was it was fast-paced. Uh, I did go to school. I went to something called vocational training, which is very common in Sweden, and particularly when you do career uh, changes later in life, uh, which is basic. It's a hands-on learning. You you learn some theory, but the the larger part of the education is uh, placement at different companies where you actually have to do things. So that's what I did, um, but I found it a little bit slow-paced. So I uh, I asked for the keys to the school, and I was the first one in the morning, and I was the last one to leave, and I'd be there basically almost 24-7, and I finished off all my classes uh, within the first half a year, and then asked if I could sit with the second-year students and then finished off those classes as well. So I was, I was done pretty fast, <laughs> and then I got a job, and yeah. And um, uh, as I understand it, you um, sort of uh, had a strategy of sort of self-evaluation about learning how to learn um, while you did this. Yeah, the, that was a very important part uh, for me because I've <laughs> I just want to optimize absolutely everything. And I think that was probably my first attempt of uh, some sort of... Uh, uh, optimization or automation so I wanted to figure out how I best could learn so I would make sure that I put my all my energy in, in all the right places I, I did feel a bit old starting I was like shit I'm 27 like can I do a career I just said my ne- uh, my age darn it <laughs> it doesn't matter I felt old, and I know because uh, a lot of people, basically, they grew up with a computer and they've been programming since they were kids, and I've heard all the stories. And then I come, and I'm basically like a grandmother starting to learn programming. So I, I knew I, I had to be, I had to, I had to make sure that every second uh, I've and every attempt I put into learning this had to be well used. And um, uh, you managed to... Um become rather well known um i found for, for what it's worth i found an article from business insider citing you as one of the 100 most influential women tech women on twitter from a couple of years ago and um for uh anyone listening who's an an author or a budding author um, building a platform like that is really a really important part of the job um and i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you managed to build your, your your presence on Twitter and, and through blogging? Well, um, hmm. I know it's a vague <laughs> or general question, but I mean, when people approach it, that's how they approach it, right? They're like, how do I, yeah. how do I become like that? I wish I could say something really smart now. People go like, oh yeah, I'm totally going to do that. Uh, but I just, I started blogging from, I was blogging as a dietitian. And then when I started programming, I started blogging about it. I even have my first hello world on my blog. So I was like, this is day one at school. And that's how the, the blog, you know, started. And I think people appreciated that I was very frank about things. And I, I would just, I, I didn't care so much what people thought, if it was stupid or I didn't know enough or I knew the wrong things. I would just share Basically, the blog became my notebook, uh, just a very public one. But how it was spread around and how 
the following on Twitter started and all that? I have no idea. I think because I was really eccentric at the time and uh, I was very excited about it, uh, programming and this this community I was introduced to with a lot of really cool people. So I, I was talking a lot with people and I was very visible as well because I had my hair in crazy colors and I have no idea what I was thinking with my clothes, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I guess uh, that certainly uh, attracted a lot of attention. It wasn't something I had planned for. And in retrospect, I probably wouldn't do that again because that, uh, that affected me greatly later on uh, when I got uh, really burned out and ended up in the hospital. So um, I can't give any good advice and I'm not sure if I would recommend somebody to, uh, you got to know what you're doing if you're putting yourself out there and there's a lot of pressure when you're in the public eye and some people can handle it, some people can't and I'm probably one of those people who is a little bit sensitive to, to certain things. So for me, it just didn't work out too well. It's interesting uh, you talk about um, the concept of uh, social introvert. Um, I haven't heard that term before, um, but it resonates with me as well. Um, and I imagine that the pressures of, I mean, one of the things that people say about building a presence on, say, Twitter or blogging is that you need to be at it all the time and there's no let up. And in particular, in the Twitter world, you know, people every single person thinks that they're interacting with you. Um, and so I can imagine there's quite a bit of pressure to be always on. Yeah, it is. Um, but I think I've got, uh, I guess, a, a core or a, a base, no, a core of followers. I hate the term followers. Uh, people I hang out on, online with mm -hmm. without sounding pathetic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but there's a core of people that I've talked to uh, since I started programming and they're, they're there even if I go offline for several months or even half a year they're still there and I know these people and some I meet after talking with them talking to them online for several years and that's actually the only people I care about because I don't want to have a fan club of some sort I mean I appreciate the attention and I guess it's it's sort of cool if I inspire people, but I mostly care of, about surrounding myself with people that inspire me and uh, people that makes me feel safe and makes me feel good about myself and the community and the job I'm doing. That's, that's what matters to me. And um, I, I, one thing I noticed um, just preparing for this interview is that, um, and of course, including your book, is that um, a lot of what you do is um, helping people. Um, tips and tricks and things like that, things you've found that helped you and then you share them? Uh, yes. Is that yes. is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, yeah, I like helping people. Mm -hmm. uh, I just, uh, I like share, sharing knowledge. And uh, when I learn something, I get really excited about it and I just have to tell everybody, it's like, oh, look at this cool thing. Um, that's, but not, that's not really the reason why I wrote that book. Uh, this was my first time self-publishing and I was terrified. And it's like, what if I write something that is just a horrible idea and just really sucks, you know? Uh, so I had a lot of fantastic ideas for books, but I was like, I should probably write the first book self-publishing um, I should probably write it a bit more easygoing, more personal, and you know, not basically sit down and write a language reference book. 
So that's how I chose that particular book to be my first self-publishing project. So in case it like it went to shit, it just wouldn't go with my best idea for a book. <laughs> yeah, well, your your first book was published um, with O'Reilly, where you you co-authored it. Um, and I actually wanted to ask you about that. What was that experience like? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh yes oh man I, I i didn't read the contract i don't know what they said in the contract i can say and cannot say uh in, in regards to saying bad things no no it, it was fine it was it was all right but it took almost a year or something and started off uh, being about uh windows 8 apps and then 8.1 came out and lots of and lots in the book had to be rewritten it was back and forth with the editor and the process is tedious um they're I, I like that they pay attention to details, but can get really slow. And with some types of technology, such as uh, Windows Store apps, which was what um, me and Matt were writing about, changes were happening so fast. And I do feel like by the time the book came out, it was already old. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, interesting process, a bit tedious, uh, but... Oh crap! I can't say too much positive. I'm sorry. It has nothing to do with O'Reilly in particular. I just find the process way too slow. So I just can't imagine myself uh, going with the publisher that is that slow ever again. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, that's interesting. That's. I mean, one of the uh, inspirations for the creation of Lean Pub in the first place was the experience my um, co-founder uh, Peter had with a tech publisher. Uh, that was um, in some ways similar. Um, and I've interviewed a number of authors who've expressed the same frustration. And it often gets articulated as saying, the team of people I worked with were fantastic. They were great professionals, but there's something structural about publishing convention, inherited or incumbent publishing convention that's not compatible with publishing longer works about quickly evolving technology. Yes, I think it can be like that. But I'll um, also say that, for example, Pluralsight, which also they also do publishing, mm -hmm. and um, and that is that is a tedious process. Uh, you 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 have to edit your videos, then you send them in. You have to get them approved, and then there and it's a lot of back and forward and so on. But they still manage to get the videos out pretty fast. Uh, making sure that you know whatever is recorded is still something that is valid information by the time it comes out. So I think Pluralsight uh, for me would be an example of how the process can be managed well. And they've struggled. It wasn't easy, in particularly when they started uh, acquiring a lot of other companies and they were growing really fast and they were lacking the the human resources. But even with all that, they still managed to pull through really, really well. So I think publishing companies probably could learn from from them and uh, yeah, similar stories. Yeah, that's really interesting. I actually wanted to ask you, how did you um, get into making plural site um, video courses? We've, we've had a couple of other LeanPub authors that I've interviewed who've done, who are also on plural site. Uh, well, I I started off watching Thorsight videos in school because uh, I wanted to fill in the gaps I felt I still had uh, when class ended. And uh, I tweeted out to one author that I had been watching his video. And somehow this star was being spread around this uh, this crazy girl running on the treadmill watching Thorsight videos. 
and then uh, Scanner, uh, CEO uh, of Pluralsight, he wanted to get in contact with me because there was a lot of talk about this girl in the Fredman, which was me. I was prepping for my first marathon. And uh, they turned out to be at a conference in a nearby city. And I was invited to come there and, and do it, an interview in regards to me watching Pluralsight videos. And that's how I came in contact with Pluralsight. And I started having a Pluralsight user groups, which I would organize. And after a few years doing that, uh, they asked me, why don't you audition for us? And I was like, me? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Can I really do this? And yeah, I was terrified. I did a little video, but it turned out good. And uh, they opened the doors. They let me in. Yay. Fantastic. So that's how. Yeah, fantastic. I don't think everybody does it the same way. No, that's a great, that's a great story. Um, uh, uh, so you, um, with your book... Um, Really interestingly, you um, you used our um, bring your own book feature, so you actually made the book completely on your own, not using LeanPub's book creation tools. Yes. And um, I found something online where you talked about the formatting challenge, um, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Um, what it you know the what your what your process was for creating your book files. Uh, so do you want feedback on LeanPub, um, or uh, do you? Well, I mean, I guess I'm asked, you can you can certainly give us feedback. I mean, that would be fantastic. It was um, horrible. And <laughs> okay, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I'm just messing with you. Okay. Uh, the formatting uh, was was an issue, and uh, I had tried uh, different ways uh, writing the book. And believe it or not, I actually ended up using Word. I started there, and I was like thinking it's got to be something better. And I tried a lot of things like Scrivener and so on, but I ended up in Word, writing the book uh, in Word. Uh, that import didn't turn out uh, so good uh, on LeanPub. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't uh, manage the formatting exactly as I wanted it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why I chose to bring my own book. And I spent a lot of time with the formatting because I wanted to have the goddamn syntax highlighting on my code. I mean, if it's an ebook, it's got to have color. And uh, it even had to look good uh, if you go black and white or you use uh, ink and so on. So that's why I, I brought my own pain mm -hmm. and book. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess I'd like to ask why. So the, it was particularly syntax highlighting that was the most important formatting issue for you? Yes, definitely. And okay. uh, just... Uh, I just didn't want to have surprises uh, such as, oh, yeah, we're just going to indent every uh, first line, every paragraph, because, mm -hmm. I don't know, because we just like indenting things, and that mm -hmm. makes sense with code snippets. Uh, I don't know if you guys do that. Probably not, but uh, that was one of the formatting issues I had when I was using other tools, and then you had to figure out how to turn that off and all the pain involved with that. Mm-hmm. And did you? Um, I guess I, on this, since we're talking shop, um, did you did you try writing in plain text using Markdown? Uh, why do that when you can get a beautiful markup from Word when Got you it. export? Got it. Understood. <laughs> okay, Understood. I didn't know. I didn't use Markdown. Uh, it didn't have Markdown. Doesn't have have all the features I want. And uh, yeah, I I considered it, but then I decided that word would just be easier for me because I actually know how to use it. 
uh, use Word pretty well. I actually even know how to align photos and make sure they're not uh, too much compressed and stuff like mm -hmm. that. That's mm -hmm. really advanced, and mm -hmm. I might add it on my resume. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there's uh, there's um, an art to using Word. Uh, yes. It's a very deep product. Um, the uh, formatting that you can take advantage of with LeanPub importing from Word is very restricted. Um, uh, we don't, as you real, as you noticed, we don't support everything that Word supports uh, when you're doing a Word import into LeanPub. Um, uh, if you do write in, you know, lean, what we call LeanPub flavored Markdown or Markua, things get a lot more advanced. But if you know Word, um, then uh, Word is uh, the place you should stay, I, I think. I mean, we've got one author named Nick Russo who's got a text that I think is a million words long um, that he did in Word. Oh, shit. A very technical author. Um, uh, and um, uh, you know, that was where uh, he landed because that was the best place for him. So you're not, you're not, you're not the only one um, who made, who <laughs> well, made that choice. I guess that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing, and I actually don't know if uh, just like a, a secret trick. I don't know if it's a secret. I'm the last person to know this, but to really force my syntax highlighting, which became my obsession for months, I dreamt about syntax highlighting. I breathed syntax highlighting. The trick to make it work in most readers, or at least some of them, is to have it in line, which just gives me, I don't know, chills down my spine, like 90s chills. Uh, but in line, I had to have inline <laughs> styling um, in, the, in the markup and then make everything very, very important. <laughs> and in that way, you can override uh, most of the reader's own settings. Um, and that's good to know if you're fanatic about things like I am. And have you, um, I guess I should ask, have you, have you uh, written about this uh, on your blog? I know, I know you've, you've mentioned it on your blog, but I mean, you know, for anyone listening, I think they'd be, there are probably people who would love to know uh, what you learned uh, throughout that process. I've taken a lot of notes and I was, I was thinking, I will, I will write about this. But I think I just I need just need to take a break first and just make sure I don't you know when I stop crying seeing my notes over the formatting <laughs> that's when I'll uh, write a, a blog post about it. But right now I just have this deep 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 hate for anything that has to do with syntax highlighting and uh, ebooks. Fair enough. Um, uh, I guess um, one of the uh, last questions I'd like to ask is. Um, uh, why did you decide to write the book in the first place? Um, I just uh, just wanted to write the book, uh, and I had a lot of a lot of ideas, and I was like, "Well, I should just get started. I'm just going to start writing a book because I I just hate just thinking about things and not doing them. I'm very much a, a doer." So I just I just wanted to write a book and there wasn't really more to it. It wasn't the fame and certainly wasn't the money. <laughs> I mean, it's not this is not the new Bible. It's not or the new Harry Potter or I don't know, uh, 50 shades of syntax highlighting, maybe. But <laughs> yeah, I just uh, see that that would be, actually be a better title. That would be a great title. That. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's um, it's an experience a lot of um, uh, authors that I talk to have. You know, you've got to you've got to really want to do what you're doing, 
um, uh, and um, uh, you know even 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 authors who do make a lot of money, the return on the hours that they put in um, is not necessarily equivalent to what they would make if they were just doing their consulting or their or their regular job. Um, yeah, that's uh, true. But there's um, there's usually people have a kind of there's just something that draws them draws them into it. Um, was there a particular reason that you chose to, I mean, I know you're going to be um, publishing the book on Amazon and you're going to be making a hard copy as well. Um, was there a reason you chose to publish on LeanPub in particular? Yeah. Uh, so I read a lot of books. I think I probably read about a book, uh, a week and, uh, LeanPub's always been my favorite place to buy books because I, I know how much work goes into writing a book and I, I'd, I'd love to pay for a book, its actual value, what it's worth, mm -hmm. which is a whole lot more than they usually are being sold for. But I also know that for example, Amazon and other places where you can uh, publish your books, they take a, a large chunk, a big cut, and uh, therefore, you know, paying more there, and you don't even have the options to pay more. So I really like that uh, with LeanPub, and also that different formats are usually available, and uh, there's no hassle getting a hold of the, the actual um, uh, different uh, formats of the book. Some places say you can also download it as a PDF and then you buy it and then you can't. So it's just uh, easy to use. I can uh, pay you offers for writing that stuff. And uh, and yes, and plus, I mean, so I don't know, maybe Amazon won't hear this, but uh, Amazon, I don't know if I'm going to do that because apparently they do not have a, a trade deal of some sort with Sweden because there's no way I'm going to get 70% royalties, uh, which there's a lot of weird rules around getting 70% royalties. Like you can't sell the book for over $10 or something. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's, yeah. um, it's a really interesting issue for technical authors, so technical book authors. So um, the way Amazon works, I think it's if you sell for less than $2.99 or more than $9.99 um, and, you know, subject to change and qualification and all that. Um, if you sell for less than two ninety nine or more than nine ninety nine, um, then you earn thirty percent royalties. Yeah. But if you sell within that band, you get seventy percent royalties. This does have regional changes and restrictions and all kinds of chaos. Um, but, yeah, and shitloads more of rules. I mean, they also rules, have yeah. size. Uh, so if you have photos, which I added photos. And then the size becomes a problem. They also have a restriction on that. And then it's also just the basics. It's not for all the countries. And Sweden is one of the many countries not included. So, I mean, I could follow all the rules, but I'm still only going to get 30%. That's crazy. And yeah, they, they, the thing in particular uh, yeah, for technical book authors is that they punish you for charging more than nine ninety nine for your book. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, that's just not really... In, there's, it's, it's interesting to say kind of like high level kind of theory about pricing and valuation that a book that will, you know, if you if you read it, you can then bill yourself out at a higher rate. If you're a consultant, for example, is a book that has, you know, kind of, I guess, literal financial value for your life. Um, yeah. And um, uh, that is very different from something that you read you know, I guess to put it in the vulgar sense for entertainment. Um, uh, uh, and, and so often technical book authors, 
uh, have works that are, you know, worth more than nine ninety nine. Yeah. Um, but 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 Amazon just has this you know one size fits all uh, policy around that, and so you know I mean certainly my belief is that technical books uh, are usually worth more than nine ninety nine um, uh, in a very straightforward way to the people who read them. Um, and so Amazon is in that way just kind of straightforwardly a bad place um, to publish a technical book unless you've got, you know, there, there are other, there's lots of value that you get from publishing on Amazon as well, but it's not really going to be from the amount of money that you make per book sale. Yeah, and there are also a few hoops to jump through whenever you want to update your book. Uh, so I'm just, I was worried about how that was going to be because I want to keep my books up to date and uh, just the process of involving a lot of other people and that means more steps and that means slower. You know, it's like building a pipeline where every single step is manual and you have to wait for people to finish things. I, I want to be able to automate it, fully automate it, which you actually can do with LeanPub and that's pretty cool. Uh, that's really interesting. So you're saying that the process with Amazon, I mean, I knew it was, they say it's easy in their kind of marketing, but from what I have under, always understood, it's a bit clunky, but there's a manual process involved? Uh, they will review what you, uh, well, they, I'm not sure how much time they spend doing this, but they will review, making sure that the formatting is somewhat okay and follows the rules. And how strict they are, I think, is basically going to depend on the, the mood of the day. There are a lot of rules. There's there's a big book uh, you can read about it with all the different recommendations. Most of them are pretty good, fair design guidelines, but a lot of them don't apply to nonfiction books in reality. So if you get a little bit unlucky and they go like, yeah, no, you can't do that. Then you have to, you know, go and fix things and you send it back in. And and I just didn't want to end up in a back and forward situation again when I know how I want my... Did I mention syntax highlighting is important to mm -hmm. me? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for that. I, I actually wasn't aware of that. In fact, um, I'd, I'd been led to believe by someone who had a relatively significant position in Amazon that it didn't work like that. So that's really fascinating. Um, uh, I have not published with Amazon. So this is based on discussions on forums. So uh, okay. I might be, I mean, I might, maybe I'm just completely making this up uh, because I really like LeanPub. Yeah, no, it, it resonates <laughs> with other things I've, I've heard. Um, I'm just sort of, you know, that, yeah, that's interesting. I'll have to look into it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I guess my, um, my last question is, um, if there were a magic feature we could build for you, or if there was something you found missing um, in your experience using LeanPub so far, what would that be? I'll give you one guess. A word syntax highlighting. <laughs> no, uh, actually, that would be pretty cool. Uh, no, that's not it. Um, in terms with, uh, it's actually, I would like to have my books on your guys' app. I can't. Yeah, that's right. Um, our um, our app. Um, uh, you need to use LeanPub, LeanPub's book creation process, writing in plain text. Um, yeah. Uh, in order to, uh, well, I mean, you can all, or or using our sort of limited word um, feature um, to produce books. But yeah, if you if you use LeanPub's workflow, then your book can get in our app. Um, but if you don't, it can't. Um, and that's a restriction. I don't think. 
um, we plan on changing anytime soon. Um, so I'm sorry that's one we can't we can't do for you very quickly. There's all kinds of support reasons behind that, um, uh, you know, um, and we want to make sure that the experience people have on our app is consistent. And so the best way to do that is to make sure that, you know, all the files are LPUB uh, files. Um, uh, but thanks, thanks for the suggestion. I think you're, you're one of the first people to um, uh, express disappointment at that. Um, ah, well, not, so not everybody has a half gigabyte of mark, uh, mark, uh, markup export from Word to. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, that's really <laughs> like, interesting. Uh, the book is not that large, actually. Um, okay. But it was originally really big until I managed to figure out how to remove all the extra stuff that Word will output. Right, right, right. Yeah, I can imagine that must have been quite a challenge. You got into that's some deep, deep word there. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, uh, if um, if if and when you do um, uh, decide to write something about it, please please let us know, and we'll you know link to it and all on all that kind of thing. Because I'm sure there are people out there who would love to um, uh, learn the lessons you learned. Um, the hard way, uh, in an easier way. Um, <laughs> uh, well, yep. I, I wanted to say uh, thanks very much um, for being on the Lean Pub podcast and for being a Lean Pub author and for taking the time to do this interview. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks.